let's talk about edema disease. Welcome to Let's Talk About Edema Disease, the IPRA podcast space that deals with the consequences of BTEC infections in the field. With this initiative, we will focus on edema disease. As you probably know, edema disease is a swine disease based on atoxemia caused by certain strains of E. coli that have factors of additions that make the bacteria colonize the small intestine and produce the verotoxin tumor. In Let's Talk About Edema Disease, in addition to talking about the presence of this disease, we will pay special attention to prevention. The goal is to prevent mortality, improve the growth of piglets and reduce clinical signs. Before introducing today's guest, let me introduce myself. My name is Irene Galé and I'm a brand manager in IPRA. Here with me, we have Pascal Dufort and Shuka Bampouka. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Pascal graduated as a vet in 1995 from Ghent University. So he has over 24 years of experience in the field. Since 2090, he's also a European certified porcelain vet. Nowadays, he owns a veterinary independent clinic in Belgium called ProVet, focusing on swine and poultry. They are an innovative company with 10 vets offering veterinary support as well as management and animal well-being advice. Welcome Pascal and thank you so much for your time. Thanks Irene, it's a pleasure to be part of this initiative. This time, we also have with us Shoka Bampouka, the Swine Technical Marketing Manager of Fibra in Belgium. Hello Shoka. Hello Irene. I must say I'm quite excited to participate at this first series of Hippa podcast. So let me tell you a little something about Shoka. She also graduated as a vet in 2007 from Ghent University. She obtained her PhD at the same veterinary medicine school focusing on swine flu in 2013. Since 2016, she has been part of our IPRA team in Benelux and since 2090, she's also graduated as a certified European porcine vet. That's correct. With both, we will talk in depth about edema disease under field conditions in both the clinical and subclinical presentations. So, let's talk about edema disease. Shuka, can you briefly tell us a little about pig production in Belgium? Sure, Irene. In Belgium, we have currently about 4,200 pig farms and the vast majority is family-owned. The sow population holds around 400,000 animals, mainly in farrow to finishing farms, and so we produce 10 million fatteners a year. This means we are over 200% self-sufficient and many of the carcasses are exported to Germany, even though also more and more to Poland. As in many neighboring countries, our sow population has gradually decreased over the past years, but at the same time, the average farm is becoming larger and more specialized, resulting in higher productivity. Pascal, in your opinion, compared to the 90s, which are the biggest changes in pig production in Belgium? Before the years 2000, many farmers were still producing in a continuous system. After that time, many of our customers started working in a three-week batch system, which resulted in more care and attention in the farrowing house, including focusing on the feed uptake of the piglets pre-weaning. Along came also a switch from own replacement guilds to buy them from breeding companies. 
From 2008 onwards, a growing number of producers switched to a four weeks batch system. In line with the younger weaning ages in this system, weaning diarrhea became a bigger challenge and remains a big problem today, partially intensified by the high productivity of the sows. Another peculiarity of the Belgium swine industry is the use of the Belgian Pietrain as the most popular terminal sire. Compared to, for example, a French Pietrain or Duroc boar, the fatteners are characterized by a lower feed conversion rate, a higher dressing percentage, and a higher lean meat percentage. The average daily weight gain and the feed uptake tend to be lower. In the last three to four years, there's a higher implementation of fast-growing terminal sires. So Pascal, did you see an impact of these changes on E. coli-related problems and oedema disease in particular? Definitely. Since people start working in a three-week batch system instead of the continuous system, the occurrence of the typical clinical edema disease with eyelid edema and nervous systems was tremendously reduced. Today, it's only sporadically that we observe this kind of symptoms. Before, we also observed that weaning diarrhea often was followed by clinical edema. This is no longer true. The three main management parameters with a big impact on E. coli disease are, in my opinion, weaning age, feed formulation and feed uptake, water quality and water consumption. Yet, even though pre-weaning and weaning feed have improved constantly, and the fact that farmers have focused strongly on uptake, E. coli infections are still a big challenge at weaning probably due to the constantly increasing productivity. Ten years ago, our best farmers used to produce 30 piglets per sow per year. Now they are peaking at 40. I'm also convinced that genetics are a major influencer for the sensitivity. Lower birth weights and higher variations in within litters play an important role in the lower litter weight and the heterogeneity at weaning. Hence, the bigger sensitivity to E. coli post-weaning. Pascal, I fully agree with you on the role of genetics. The tendency to use fast-growing terminal sires seems to have an impact. It's not uncommon that when we see the typical oedema symptoms, it is in farms with good growth performance in the nursery units. The faster the pigs are growing, the greater seems the risk to have outbreaks. It is often characterized by sudden death of some of the best piglets in a few pens, and not uncommonly, it occurs a few days after they switch to the second and third feed phase. Also, where the outbreaks used to be fairly short after weaning, we see them now from two to three weeks after weaning until the end of the nursery period or even after the transition to the fattening unit. And as you indicated before, the push for growth to reach 24-25 kilograms by the end of the nursery at 70 days of age seems to have a big impact. In the context of improving gut health and reducing antibiotic consumption, we might have to reconsider the balance of growth goals. If I'm not wrong, in Belgium there has been a focus on the reduction of antibiotics in recent years, right? As one of the measures taken to reduce antibiotics, the use of zinc oxide at 2500 ppm in the first two weeks after weaning is currently allowed. Yet, in the near future, this will no longer be permitted. Pascal, how do you think it will affect gut health? When the use of zinc oxide at doses of 2,500 ppm during the first two weeks after weaning was permitted in September 2013, it helped a lot to reduce weaning diarrhea. Yet, when it will be no longer available, 
I do not expect an explosion of edema problems. Currently, many of our customers are already working without it and we are not seeing an increase in form prevalence of edema disease. I think, partially, because in Belgium we have chosen for luxury feed formulations using many additives and focusing on gut health in general, in contrast to surrounding markets where they focus on safe low-protein formulations. Yet, if the use of amoxicillin is banned, the impact will be much higher. So Pascal, how do you think antibiotics are affecting the gut health? What we observe in farms using them in a metaphylactically way to control streptococcus problems is a growth-promoting effect and an improved feed conversion rate. Studies have shown that administration results in a shift of the gut microflora, which we observe in the stable as a change in the feces consistency. As long as you keep treating, overgrowth of bacteria such as Clostridium, Streptococcus and E. coli seems controlled and pigs are doing well. However, the moment treatment is stopped, problems are reoccurring. I don't know how the mechanism works, but if we manage to postpone or stop the treatment, those pigs are having better results on the long run. It is in that interplay I think Udema disease might have an impact. If we can prevent the negative impact of ferrotoxins by vaccinating against edema disease, we also see less streptococcus problems in the nursery unit the moment we stop the treatment. Yeah, it, it is true that even though we observe in the field that many farms have less streptococcus problems when we vaccinate, I want to stretch here though that HIPAA's vaccine is not a streptococcus vaccine. So with the banning of zinc oxide and the reduction of antibiotics, can we expect some subclinical infections becoming clinical infections? And how do you define farms with subclinical infections? For me, farms with subclinical infections might suffer from high antibiotic consumption in the nursery due to streptococcus infections or Haemophilus parasuis pressure. At the same time, the health status of the piglets is apparently good. By that, I mean that possible triggers such as immunosuppressive infections as PERS, PCV2, but also influenza or F4 E. coli are under control and that other crucial management factors such as feed and water uptake are optimal. During the nursery phase, we do not observe clinical symptoms of edema disease. In some farms, there might have been a single outbreak in the past. In some others, clinical edema disease symptoms have never been observed. So in short, these farms need long-lasting medication for good growing pigs and at the moment that they are transferred to the fattening unit, clinical problems no longer occur. So Pascal, when you are vaccinating against edema disease on this type of farms, what happens? When Hipra's edema disease vaccine was launched, we implemented piglet vaccination as a last tool to tackle problems in this type of farms. By applying it, we observed good results, primarily at the level of antibiotic reduction. By intensifying the technical follow-up on these farms, we could also unexpectedly obtain higher growth in fatness, varying averagely from 2 to 4 kilograms extra. On one farm, for which we had all the individual carcass weights, also a higher homogeneity was observed in the vaccinated group. For that reason, I think that subclinical edema disease should be included from the beginning in the differential diagnosis of farms with an elevated antibiotic consumption in the nursery period. 
Yeah, it, it is correct that we can eliminate the use of metaphylactic amoxicillin treatment on some farms by vaccinating against edema disease, and that this elimination is not necessarily resulting in worse technical results. Recently, we did a follow-up on a farm where half of the pigs were vaccinated with Hepras vaccine at two days of age, and they received no amoxicillin treatment. The other half, which was a control group, received no vaccine and antibiotic treatment as usual. The farm was actually treating the animals during most of the nursery period. And in the vero checks of this farm, we found the presence of the VTEC relatively late after weaning and to a low degree. The average weight at 79 days of age was 0.7 kilograms more in the vaccinated animals compared to the non-vaccinated ones. If we looked at the food conversion rate, it was 1.6 during the last 26 days in the vaccinated animals, while this was 0.1 higher in the control group. So, as indicated by Pascal, having better growth results in the absence of the use of amoxy is rather exceptional. Also, despite the high streptococcus pressure on this farm, the mortality was even slightly lower in the vaccinated group. And so for me, this is a typical case and a good illustration of a subclinical farm, and it shows us what we can expect from vaccination. Other than the farm characteristics, do you also use VeroCheck to diagnose a farm as having subclinical edema disease? Indeed, Irene. We have been using VeroCheck to identify the presence of the virotoxin-carrying E. coli on suspected farms. The trouble, however, is that the presence of the E. coli by itself is not enough to know if you will have a positive effect of the vaccination or not. After all, we only show the presence of the bacteria in the gut, but we do not have the certainty that it is also producing the toxin. In practice, we need an additional tool that would allow us to predict that vaccination will improve the results, but currently is rather a trial and error approach. Yeah, that is true. And this is also why we have tried to identify a sampling protocol with VeroChecks that reveal a specific pattern for subclinical farms. So it's true that in the VeroChecks we show the presence of the E. coli by means of quantitative PCR. This means that we show the presence of the gene, and because it is quantitative, we also have an idea about the genetic load, and is shown as highly positive with an outcome of three pluses and moderate with one plus. The approach of the field study here was to collect 15 oral fluids per farm and having five ropes per age categories. Age collected were shortly after weaning, end of the nursery and beginning of the fattening period. In about 70% of the suspected farms, we showed positivity. And this pattern has been seen in other countries as well, such as Canada or Spain. The positivity occurred to a low degree, so meaning only a small proportion of the samples being positive, eh, around 30%, and the fact that the semi-quantitative PCR results gave only one or two pluses. Also, for most of these farms, the positivity appeared in the second or third age category and not shortly after weaning, as we might expect. However, as Pascal pointed out, it is likely that not all of these farms would be helped by vaccination. And so therefore, adding another diagnostic parameter, maybe including seropositivity for the vaccine, is a must for the field to identify true subclinical edema farms. We have arrived at the end of today's Let's Talk About Edema Disease. 
Many thanks Pascal Dufort and many thanks Shuko Van Poco for joining us today in this podcast that has looked into edema disease in clinical and subclinical farms. And to you, thanks for joining us. We hope that the topics we have dealt with in this space have been of interest to you. For more information, check the website ibra.com. Bye for now. Let's talk about edema disease.